0: And this morning we're going to be looking at one verse, one verse, chapter thirteen. I'm sorry, verse thirteen, chapter ten, verse thirteen. It all runs together. Verse thirteen. Um, the title of our lesson this morning is temptation. And um, like I said, I, I, I could have probably covered more uh, than I than I'm going to this morning, but I want to talk a little bit about temptation because I think. There's some things, there's an understanding that we have about temptation, uh, but there's some things that we really miss when it comes to temptation. And I want to take a few uh, minutes this morning to to really talk about that. Let's read verse 13 before we begin. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to uh, endure it. Now, we saw last week as we started into uh, uh, chapter 10 that it's pretty easy for us, especially here in America where uh, we have so much wealth, so much comfort, so much freedom. It's easy for us sometimes to forget that life is a race that calls for self-denial and and self-control. In fact, we can become... So comfortable in our life that we we kind of let down our guard uh, sometime, and that is when sin will will subtly uh, sneak in. And that's exactly uh, you remember we said last week. That's exactly what Paul was concerned about with the church at Corinth. He says, "Man, you guys are rich. You've got all these gifts. You've you've got all these freedoms." Uh, he was very concerned that they would forget that they were in a race and that it was a race that was supposed to be run to be won. You don't just participate. You don't just kick back and say, well, I'm going to heaven no matter what. No, it's a race that has to be won. So the danger, we said last week, of being so blessed like we are here at River of Life is that you can get overconfident. Uh, you, you, know, you, you just start to think, man, it, it's always been this way. It always will be this way. God's always blessed me. He's going to keep blessing me. And what will happen is you'll kind of feel impervious or uh, impregnable. You'll feel like, you know what, those sins happen to those people, but they'll never happen to me. You know, that, that guy might cheat on his wife. I would never do that. That, I, I would, that could never happen to me. And you see, that is a very dangerous place to be. And so in chapter 10, Paul wants to, you know, he wants to, to, to wake them up a little bit. So he gives them an example about Israel. Now, Israel w- was a people who was extremely blessed, extremely privileged. You remember we said last week they were rescued by God. They were guided by God. They were nourished by God. Yet those same people, those same individuals that were so blessed, the Bible said they fell under divine judgment and were dis- disqualified. And that's, that's the example that Paul gives. And so after he gives the example of Israel, he warns the Corinthians and us the same thing can happen to us. In verse 12, he says this, "...let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall." He said, when you think you're so blessed, when you think nothing, none of that stuff can happen to you, he said, that's when you need to beware. And that word, beware, in the Greek, literally means to, to be on your guard. Uh, like a soldier who would take a, 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 their weapon or their gun or whatever and, and guard. He said, be on your guard, be looking. Because when you think it can't happen to you, that's when it's coming. That's when sin is going to subtly sneak in. And that's, that brings us today to verse 13. Now, we said this last week, when you just read verse 13 it almost sounds like it doesn't belong there. You know, he's talking about Israel, and he's saying, take heed, and then he he comes with this verse about temptation. It's sort of connected, but then it's not really connected. Um, And I always want to ask this question. When I see something like that, I try to step back and look at a verse from, you know, from a higher... from like a 10,000-foot level. Instead of just reading the verse, I step back and look at it in context... And I think we can ask the question, why is this verse here? Why does it fall where it, where it does? I ran across this quote this week. I was reading a book, and it said this, Scripture is like a linked chain, not a string of pearls. And I really like that. You know, when you think about a string of pearls, one pearl is not connected to the next, is it? You could, you could remove one of those pearls, and you'd still have a string of pearls. But Scripture is not like that. Scripture is like a link chain. One verse connects to the next, which connects to the next, which connects to the next. So when you look at verse 13, you have to look at it in context. How does it link up with the verses before it and the verses after it? So think about this real quickly from the reader's point of view. Paul has just told us about these Israelites. Now, the Israelites are people who were led... They literally had a cloud would come over the camp during the day, like a pillar, not a cloud way up in the sky that you, that you could look at and say, well, I think that's guiding me. You know, it actually was a pillar. It came all the way down to the ground. And they could actually see that, and when that cloud moved, they moved. So they were supernaturally led by God. Not only that, they, are, they got a guy named Moses who, who literally walks and talks with God. They got him leading them. Not only that, they get up every morning and food is just miraculously on the ground, right? Or when they needed water, uh, it just came out of a rock. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen, you ever been led by a cloud or a pillar of fire by night? Has that ever happened to any of y'all? It ain't happened to me. Uh, I, I think Brother Henry's great, but I wouldn't put him on the par with Moses, would you? I don't think Miss Beth would. Would you, Miss Beth? Miss Beth says, no, he's not Moses. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> So we're not, we're not being led by Moses. Any of y'all ever had water come out of a rock when you're outside? No. Listen, here's the thing. These guys had all of that, and they didn't make it, did they? They had every advantage, every privilege. They saw things and experienced things that you and I will never see, never experience, and they still didn't make it. See, when they got tempted, they failed the test and they they were disqualified. Now, think about that for just a second. You can kind of see what the Corinthians are thinking here, right? If they didn't make it, if they had God leading them with a cloud and a fire, if they had Moses, if they had water coming out of a rock, if they had all of that and they didn't make it, what chance do I have? Because I don't have any of that stuff. Everybody see See, that's, that's what, you know, they're thinking in their mind. You can easily see how they could begin to doubt their salvation or at least the security of their salvation. They, they, you know, Paul just said, man, look at these people. Look at all the advantages they had. They didn't make it. 99.99% of them were disqualified. They fell in the wilderness. So you can see the Corinthians thinking, well, holy cow, they didn't make it. How, how in the world am I? ever going to make it. So what Paul is doing in this verse 13 is he wants to comfort them. He wants to assure them that, hey, you can make it. In fact, let's, you know, see, he doesn't want the Corinthians to become despondent. He doesn't want them to live with this fatalistic attitude that, you know what, man, the Israelites, they had all the advantages. They didn't make it. What what chance do I have? There's no way I'm ever going to be able to make it. He doesn't want them to live that way. He wants them to take heart. He wants them to be encouraged. That's what verse 13 is all about. It's a a verse of comfort to them. In fact, let's read it with that in mind. Read it again. He says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Everybody see the comfort in that? He's saying, don't be despondent. Don't be fatalistic. Yes, it happened to the Israelites, but God is faithful to take you through it. God is not going to let you go through anything that you can't bear. He knows your limitations, right? He's going to give you a way of escape. He's going to give you a way to endure it. So this is really a verse of comfort, even more so than it is of warning. It's It's a verse of comfort. Now... This is only one verse that we're covering today. It will not take us very long to go through it. probably take me ten minutes to tell you what it says. But before I do that, I want to talk to you a little bit more about temptation itself and about the subject of temptation. Now, with modern Christians, when we hear the word temptation, it doesn't have a lot of mystery in it, does it? Most of us, if I said, tell me what temptation means, you would immediately in your mind think of it as something bad right? It's something that that Satan does with evil intent. He tries to lure us away from God, from God's ways, from God's spirit, from God's power, from God's word. Everybody, we all know what temptation means. It's got a specific meaning for us. But this is really interesting. If you go back to the Greek and you look at the Greek word used there for temptation, the Greek word is parasmoi, and that word has no evil connotation to it whatsoever. In fact, it's morally neutral. That word just means to test, to to try, to, to prove. That's all it means. It just means a test. It's morally neutral. Doesn't mean it's a good test. Doesn't mean it's a, a bad test. It just means to test. That's what that word means. For example, in the case of a metal. The Greeks would use that word. You would you would parasmoi the metal, the silver or gold, to determine its purity or or to improve its quality. Everybody with me? So the word just means to test. That's all it means. Doesn't it's it's morally neutral. Doesn't mean a good test, doesn't mean a bad test. It just means it's a, a test. Now, however, a test, when you parasmoy something, that test can have two different purposes or two different reasons or two different uh, uh, well, I'll just say two different reasons. The first one, it can be a good test, what we would call a benevolent test. And, and in this case, you would be testing something to improve it in some way, like you would sometimes with metal. You, wanna, you, 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 you put metal through a test to get out the impurities and make it pure. You make it better. Okay? Th- that, this is the same thing that God would do with people. Sometimes he tests us to improve our quality, to improve our character. Um, So one of the things we know from the Bible, and I'll give you some scriptures here in just a second, is that God will test us, will He not? He will put us through tests. He will allow us to go through certain situations, certain circumstances, what we might call a trial. And how you react to that trial will reveal the quality of your faith, the sincerity of, of your faith so that you can see what's really inside you and other people can see what's really inside you now remember when god tests us the purpose of a test from god is always something good in other words he wants to build something into us maybe it's humility maybe it's stronger character maybe it's endurance but when god allows you to go through a test whatever it may be the point of that test is something good is it not he wants to, to, to do something in us. There's several verses that show us this. For example, Psalm 66.10 says this, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. See, that's that whole thing. Sometimes you put silver through this, through this process, through a test, and the idea is to get the impurities out of it and make it more pure silver. Well, that's the same thing God was, He wants to get the sin out of us. He wants to get the, the weaknesses out of us. He wants to get the impurities out of us. He wants to refine us, improve us. And He'll allow us to go through tests to do that. Deuteronomy 8, 2 says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Now listen to this last part. Whether or not you would keep His commands. Sometimes God will let you go through things. He might let you go through a rocky spot in your marriage. He may let you go through financial problems. He'll let you go through something. What's the purpose? To see whether you're going to obey His Word. We might all just, you know, print that out and put it on our refrigerator, right? So we can see it every day. The things we go through, the circumstances, the situations, God allows us to go through them to see are we going to obey His Word or not. Will we run to his word and say, I wonder what God's word says I should do in this situation, or are we just going to do what we want to do? That's one of the purposes of God's test. Look at James 1, 2, a a very familiar verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. That word trials is that exact same word, parasmoi. And I actually grabbed it. I don't know if y'all can see it on the bottom, but that's from the Greek lexicon. That's the exact same word, ...that in Paul, the English translators called temptation. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials, when you meet tests of various kinds... ...because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In other words, you become stronger. It's like a runner who wants to start running a marathon. They, they start running a half a mile, then a mile, then five miles, then ten miles, then twenty miles. They, they get stronger. They build up endurance. Same thing with a weightlifter. You start out with a certain amount of weight and it, and it kind of breaks down your muscles and builds them back up and you get stronger. That's what tests do in our life. They make us stronger. They build up endurance. These are all tests from God, by the way. It's got nothing to do with the enemy. This is God allowing these things to happen. Romans 5, 3-4 through 4 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials or tests, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So these are all circumstances and situations that God will allow us to go through to develop endurance and humility and strength of character, purifies us, refines us, makes us better people, better Christians, more like Jesus. It conforms us to His Image. Finally, James 1, 12 said this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. There's that word again, parasmoi, under test. Because having stood the test... Uh, okay, give me one second. All right, sorry about that. not sure what happened. Yeah, I'm being tested. I want to break it. Blessed, James one twelve said this: Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord, uh, that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Okay, y'all are right. I am being tested. All right, um, Janice, will you get Chuck and ask him to see if he can see what's going on? Anyway, if it does it again, I'll just back out and. Y'all can just watch me instead of watching that. Everybody see here, every one of these tests, y'all see what it's producing? What's it producing? Good things or bad things? It's all producing good things. See, that's a test from God. God will allow us to go through circumstances and stuff. He wants to produce good things. The crown of life. These are all good things, right? However, there is another type of testing that is performed by our enemy. And that is a test that has the malicious aim of trapping us into wrong actions. okay? That's what Satan, he wants to test us, but he doesn't want to produce anything good. He wants to trap us into doing something wrong. So one of the things that Satan does is he, he tests us by manipulating circumstances, all within, within the limits that God will allow him, in an attempt to make us forsake God's will. Okay, that's what Satan's trying to do. He wants us to to walk away. God says, I'm testing you to see if you'll obey my word. Satan will test us to see if we'll do what? The exact opposite, if we'll disobey God's word. He wants us to walk away from God's word, from God's will. And this is something that we have to be constantly aware of. We have to be constantly on guard because Satan is always at work to make us fall. Look at a couple of verses, 2 Corinthians 2.11 so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. James 4:11. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And probably the most well-known one is this one. 2 Peter 4, 8 through 9 says this. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, here's the question. How do I know which one it is? When you're going through a test, when you're going through a, a, a trial or some circumstances, how do you know if that's coming from God or if it's coming from the enemy? That is a really hard question. If you've got financial troubles, how do you know if that's a test that God's... Putting you through to produce something good, or how do you know if it's a test the enemy's putting you through to produce something bad? You know, I don't. Are you looking for me for an answer? Because I got no clue. Well, I'll tell you this, and that's pretty close, Janice. Okay, it's actually a trick question, because I don't want to answer it, and I don't think you should try to answer it, and, and Janice is right. Um, it is a good question, but it's the wrong question, and I think too many people get caught up in that question. You're going through something, and all you're worried about is, where's is this coming from? Is this God? Is this devil God? Why are you, you know, it's just all, but see, it's really not a question you should ever ask Job. In fact, one of the best examples we have, Job never asked that question. Never. If you go back to Job chapter 1, Satan goes, and you go back and read Job, and one day I'm going to teach through Job. Um, The problem with teaching through Job, it's got a lot of really good stuff at the beginning and a lot of good stuff at the end, and the whole middle is just a big quagmire, and it's just hard to teach through. But one day I'm going to do it. And if you go back to Job chapter 1, it says Satan appears before God and God says to him, Hey man, look at Job. (laughs) He's a righteous man. He fears God. And uh, Satan replies to the Lord, Well sure he does, right? But he has good reason to fear God because you've always put a wall of protection around him. You protect his body. You protect his home. You protect his property. You protect his family. And Satan says, Reach out and take away everything he has and he will curse you to your face. And watch what God says. All right, you may what? You can test him. There's that test. Now, who is God says, all right, you may test him. Who's testing Job? Satan. God says, all right, he's yours. You can test him. Have at it. So we know, because we get to pull back the curtain and see behind the scenes that it's the devil. Is it not? All right. So, who is testing Job? Well, it's Satan. We know that. Now, see, now, there's a lot we can learn from Job. But one of the first things we learn is exactly what Janice just said, is that Satan is always subordinate to God. He's always subordinate. Here he goes to God. He says, I want to do something, and he has to get God's permission. He doesn't do anything without God allowing it. Nothing. Nothing. He is subordinate to God. And that is an awesome thing for us to realize and understand, that Satan does nothing in this world except by God's permissive will. So anytime we think we can blame Satan for something that's happening, we also have to take into account the fact that God is allowing it, that God is permitting it. By the way, which is exactly what Job says and does. Okay, let's look at this, uh, look at a couple of scriptures here. When Satan attacks, and I'm just going to point out a few things to you. When Satan attacks Job's houses and property and all of that, and then he takes the lives of his children, who's doing that? Satan's doing it. We know that because the Bible told us Satan's doing that. But Look what Job said in in verse uh, 21, chapter 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, Job doesn't know what's going on, does he? He doesn't know what we know. We can see behind the scenes. We can see the actors. Job doesn't know that. He's like us. A lot of times in our life, we don't know what's going on in the supernatural. And Job says, what? The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Now, we might think, Job, you wouldn't say that, if you really knew what was happening. It it goes on later. Satan comes and strikes Job with a disease, right? He's got boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, and Job goes out and sits with a a piece of pottery so he can scratch himself, and he's miserable, and his wife comes along and just says, man, just curse God and die. I mean, it is a terrible situation. And even though we know, and the Bible says explicitly that God did it, I'm sorry, that Satan is doing it, that Satan is doing all of this. Job says this to his wife in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Job says, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Now, watch what the Bible says. In all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Everybody see that? Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job said, should we accept good from the hand of God and not bad? And the Bible tells us explicitly Job said nothing wrong. You see, in Job's understanding, the point is exactly what Janice said. And what he knew, and he said nothing wrong, which means he was right, God is allowing it to happen. Whether Satan is involved or not involved, that's beyond the point. The point to Job was God is allowing it to happen to me. Everybody see that? I mean, that's incredibly important. By the way... Go look at the story of Jesus. Look at Matthew 4, 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit to be what? Tempted by the devil. Who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Who allowed him to be tempted? It tells us right there the Spirit did that. But what he wants us to see is this, is, this isn't something that's just happening. This isn't something just coming out of the blue that's catching God by surprise. No, God's in complete control. He knows exactly what's going to happen. In fact, they go out of their way to tell us the Spirit led him to do that. Okay, God is in control, folks. He's always there. He's sovereign, right? And see, the fact is, if you go back and look at that situation... God allows Jesus to be tempted because there's a purpose in it. If you go on later in Hebrews 2.18, it says this, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. See, allow him to be tempted so later on he could help us because he knows he's tempted in every way that we are. So he's able to provide assistance, to provide comfort, to provide help when when we're tempted. So when you're going through a trial... When you're going through a test, when you're going through a a tribulation or a trouble, let me tell you the first thing is never doubt for one second that God is allowing it. Never doubt that. In fact, that should be first and foremost in our minds because can I tell you that that makes all the difference in the world? See, when you know that my Heavenly Father who loves me, in fact, He loved me so much He died for me, when I know that He's allowing it to happen, then I can sit back and say, you know what, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, behind the curtain, but I can tell you that this test is His will for me. He's allowing it to happen. It was His will for Jesus, it was His will for Job, and this test is His will for me. That's why Paul says in Thessalonians 5.13, Be thankful in what? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. All circumstances, tribulation, trial, sickness. Be thankful, because God is taking you that through that for purpose or for, for reason. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, 28 through 31, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all circumstances, all situations, work for, together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That's why Paul can say these things, because he knows, listen, God is allowing this to happen in your in your life so that's the first thing about temptation see when we think about temptation sometimes I think we get caught up with little pictures of the little red devil sitting on your shoulder right that you see sometimes and 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 he's trying to get you and that and that is temptation okay but you forget the bigger picture and the bigger picture first number one is that God is in control always he's allowing it to happen here's my second point very quickly And that is this, when it comes to temptation, it's not the devil you really need to worry about. That's the other thing. See, I think sometimes we get caught up in temptation and about the enemy, the enemy's doing this, the enemy's doing that, and all over the place. See, when the Bible kind of opens up and lets you look behind the scenes, it tells us, number one, God's in control, and number two, it tells us that it's not really the devil you need to worry about. Anybody know who it is? It's you. It's you. You're the one you need to worry about. Look at James 1, 13 through 15. James has, a, has, a, has the ability here to say, hey, let me tell you something about temptation, folks. Let me, let me teach y'all something about temptation. This is what he says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it is conceived birth when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death when James has a chance to tell you something about temptation he doesn't even bring the devil into it he says you're the enemy you're the one that's the problem it's your desires that 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 are the real issue here okay see what we learn from the example of Job is that Satan can affect our external circumstances can he not he did that to Job. He destroyed his houses, his property, killed his children. Satan can do those things when he is allowed to by God. One of the other things we learn from the example of Jesus is that when Satan can offer us things, man, if you'll just do this, you'll get this. If you'll do this, he can, he can affect our circumstances. He can offer us things. But folks, can I tell you, that's it. That's all he can do. He can affect the outside He can kind of offer us things. But let me tell you, he has no control over you. For those of you, how many of y'all here know who Flip Wilson is? Some of the older people know who Flip was. Well, Flip is wrong, right? The devil, for those young people who don't know what Flip Wilson is, he was a comedian. He had this punchline. He always said, what? The devil made me do it. Well, guys, the devil cannot make you do anything. He cannot make you do anything. He has no power internally over your heart, over your mind, over your spirit. He has none of that whatsoever. He cannot make you do anything. He is limited. He can affect your outside circumstances. He can, affect, uh, he can offer you things, but He has no power to make you do anything. See, that's why the problem is not so much Him, it's, it's you. You control the inside. You can self-deny. You self-control. You give in. You give up, that's all you. It's us that's, that's the issue here, not so much him. You see, it turns out the dangerous one in this situation is me. Uh, Oliver Hazard Perry, who was an admiral back in the British Navy, had this uh, when he had, I think it was a battle with the American revolutionaries or somebody like that. Anyway, he, he had this famous quote We've seen the enemy and it's us. Well, that's, that's kind of what the Bible would say the enemy is you. It's me, it's our unholy desires that pose the greatest threat to our spiritual life, not external things, okay? For, let me give an example how this might work. And I'm just, I'm just, I, I just want to get you thinking here, okay? Let's say, for example, you have some financial problems. Let's say you've lost your job, you've got uh, a medical condition that's, that's wiped out a large part of your savings or all of your savings. Some, something in your life has caused you to have some real money problems, and you're, you're worried about it, right? I mean, you're, these are real, this isn't just a one shortage at the end of the month, but this is, this is starting to add up. you got real financial problems. Now, what we know from what we've already learned is that, first and foremost, this is a test, right? God has allowed these circumstances to come into your life. He didn't have to do it, okay, but He did. These circumstances have come into your life. But I want you to notice, everything you're going through is completely external. Everybody with me? They're just they're external problems. The question is, how are you going to react to those financial problems? Will you trust God? Or will you say, I've got to find my own way out of this? How, which, what are you going to do? Okay, that's the, that's the question here. The, the circumstances are all outside. They're all external. They're not inside but they, they, they turn to our inside and we internalize it and we say, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Now remember, the purpose of a test like that from God is to build you up, not tear you down. God wants to build things inside of you. He wants, to, he wants to give you peace in the midst of the storm. He wants to build up endurance. He wants to build up hope. He wants to build up character. You see, He wants you in the midst of that test, He wants you to turn to Him. He wants you to rely on Him. He wants you to trust in His promises, in His Word. David said, I was young and I have old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed-begging bread. I'll take care of you. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'll take care of those things. Don't worry about them. The, 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 The birds of the air, the flowers of the field, they don't worry about any of that stuff. Don't you think you're loved more than them? I'll take care of that. See, all of that's what God's trying to get us to do. He's trying to, to build all that up in us, to trust in Him, trust in His Word. And this is what happens to a lot of us. When that test first happens, you know, you run to that Bible, right? And you fall on your knees. Lord, you know, God, show yourself mighty on my behalf, right? We 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 might even know, maybe you sat in this Sunday school and you think, man, I know this is a test from God. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this test. Okay? So you may even understand this is an external circumstance. But let me tell you what happens to a lot of people. You see, the fact is, inside each one of us is these desires, right? And and, and the desire, at the, at, the, at the bottom of the, at the end of the, the nutshell, or in a nutshell, the desire for each one of us is we want to be the captain of our own ship, right? And there's things in our life, not only do we want to get things that we want. We also want to avoid things we don't want. We want to avoid inconvenience. We want to avoid suffering. We want to avoid financial shortages. We want to avoid those things. Okay, that, these things are all inside of us. So what happens is when the answer doesn't come immediately, maybe a week goes by, maybe a month goes by, maybe six months go by, maybe a year goes by, And and maybe Satan manipulates the circumstances. Maybe Satan sends a a new acquaintance into your life. Somebody new at work or a family member comes in like Job. And instead of comforting you and pointing you to the Scripture and saying you need to trust God, they offer you other ways out of the mess. They're, They're just an agent of Satan. Maybe they say, you know what? Tax time's coming up. You can take a few more deductions, you know, those little, you know... They're probably never going to find that. You could get some money back that way. Maybe you're at work and, you're, you've got, you, know, and you think, man, if I did these things, maybe my company wouldn't miss the money. Or maybe you come somebody says, you know what, that, 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 that money you're giving to church, that's ridiculous. If you just keep that money back, you could pay your bills. You don't need to give to your church. Everybody with me? See, the test, God actually allowed the test to come. He wants to build good things out of it. He wants us to turn to Him. He wants to solve the problem. He wants to take care of it. Then Satan comes in and he manipulates the circumstances, maybe puts somebody in to give you bad advice. And all of a sudden, you've got these questions going on inside of you. Well, should I do this or should I do that? Everybody with me? You see, what you've done is you've taken the external and you've internalized it. It's no longer about trusting God, leaving it to Him. It becomes all about me. What do I need to do to get out of this situation? What do I need to do to get what I want or avoid? See, welcome to the world of temptation. That's it right there. You've taken the external circumstances and you've internalized it. What do I need to do? How can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? Will this make me happy? Will that? Everybody with me? That's temptation. You've gone from the external to the internal. Now, with those things said, I want to turn to the verse. we only got about seven minutes. I want to show you five things real quickly that we can learn from verse 13. Let's start at the top. If you got your Bible, and again, we'll go through this very quickly. Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Here's the first thing. It happens to everybody. There's not a person in this room who doesn't endure these tests, these temptations. You are going to incur circumstances in your life that will induce you to forsake your allegiance to the Lord. It could be sickness, it could be idolatry, it could be persecution, it could be sexual temptations, it could be a number of things. But every person in here, every person who ever sits in one of these seats will incur these circumstances. It will happen. Okay, It happens to everybody. However, what Paul makes clear is that whatever happens to you, it will only be things that are common to human beings. In other words, you will never be required to resist angelic temptations. You will never have to endure a temptation that maybe an angel would have to endure. Only things that are common to human beings. That's, that's number one. Don't, don't worry about God's going to bring something that you've got no power to resist. Okay? Okay? He's only going to allow you to go through things that are common to the human condition. Um, Again, remember, what Paul's doing in this verse is trying... Everybody remember? He's not warning us. He's trying to comfort us. He's saying, look, you're going to go through things, but I want you to know a few things about this. When it happens, it's just going to be things that are common to man. It's things that everybody goes through. So the first thing he tells us is that although we will be tempted... It will be things that every human being before us has had to endure. And he wants us to take heart in that. Uh, he goes on and says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. Okay. Here's the second thing, and that is God is faithful. You see, what Paul wants you to see here is this: he's the source of your strength, not yourself. He's referring us back to the same thing. See, God, we go through a test. God wants us to turn to Him. He's faithful. He's able. Don't don't try to do it on your own. In fact, if you look to yourself, you will fall. You will fail. But if you look to God as the source of your strength, as the source of your power, as the source of your ability, uh, then we will be secure. Again, the point here is not that God is going to take us through temptation without any effort of our own. Remember, this race is a race of self-denial, of self-control. We, we have responsibilities, okay? But the fact is that if we seek His aid and depend on His power, we can and will resist temptation. He goes on and says this, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Everybody see those words? He will not allow you. We're right back to what we said earlier, number three. God is always in control. All circumstances, all causes that lead us to temptation are under the control of God. He can allow them. He can stop them. He can control them. He can destroy them. He decides when. He decides how much. Where it stops, where it starts, that's all under His control. Okay, He can stop it at any time. Okay, He is in control. When, and, and here's what I want you to understand. When people are tempted, it's because God permits it. Now, He Himself does not tempt us. Okay? He doesn't put evil thoughts in anyone's mind. He doesn't create an object of temptation to put in our way. He doesn't do those things, but He allows it to happen. Okay? We saw that in Job's case. We saw that in Jesus' case. We see that in today's Scripture. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. By the way, remember too that when God is allowing temptation, he's allowing it for a good reason. Satan may have malicious means, he wants to pull you away, but God wants to build something good, even through temptation. Because when I resist temptation, I come out the other side of that, guess what, am I stronger? If I fail, anybody know what happens if I fail? Even if I fail, sometimes it's humility that's get inside of me. I thought I was strong, and then I fail, and all of a sudden, next thing I'm like, man, I'm not as strong as I thought I would be. And that even in itself turns me back to God. Number four, every person has limitations. God will not allow us to be tempted beyond that limit. Now, that's good, but I I also want you to see this point. Therefore, if you fail, you are responsible. See, God knows what you've got the power to resist. So let's say that, that I've got, my power to resist stops at this line. Anything over this line, I got, there's no way I can resist it. Everybody with me? So God says, okay, I'm not gonna let you go beyond that line. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up to this line. I will not, because I know if I go over the line, there's no way. So everything on this side of the line, I can resist. So if I fail, guess who's responsible? Me. It's not God's fault. He only let me go through things that he knew, Derek, you've got the ability to resist that. You can do it. But yet if I fail, it's, it's my fault. I'm the one to blame. By the way, this is especially true of Christians, is it not? Whatever may be said of everybody else, a Christian can never say that you don't have the resources and the power and the capability to resist temptation. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You've got God's Word. You've got all of these things available to us. I don't know what non-Christians can say, but Christians can always say, I have the power and the resources available to me. So God may have allowed it, but only we are to blame for our failures. Finally, it says this, but with the temptation, He will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Now, don't misunderstand. For years as a kid... I remember reading this verse, and I completely misunderstood it. When I was a kid, there was a word there that I would jump out at me. Anybody want to guess what that word is? Escape. See, I thought when you came to a temptation, there was always a way out of it, right? Like a trap door. If I could just find that door to get out of this thing, I'd be gone. Because that's the way I saw it. But I forgot to read the last sentence there. He says, I'm going to provide you a way of escape so that you will, what? Endure it. Anybody know what endure means? That means you've got to go through it. Everybody got that? That word escape, he's not saying, I'm going to get you out of it so you don't have to go through it. You have to go through it. See, that's number five. We will make it through. As I mentioned, as a young person, I, I misunderstood that. I thought that every temptation came with a way out. Every test, I don't have to go through this test if I can just find the way out. In other words, let me remove this test as quickly as possible because I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be tested this way. But notice the way of escape is so that you may be able to endure it. I don't know how, what he, that, you know, d- does he bring a, a, a new acquaintance into my life who will hold me accountable? I don't know. Does he, does, he, does he see something? You're going through a test? Does he, I, I don't know what he does. But the point is, whatever he does is not so that he'll get you out of it, so that, it'll, that you'll be able to go through it. It may be shorter, it may be long, but God will make a way. I was reading this verse this week in that same book I was reading, and this, this just fit perfectly with what we're talking about. Revelation 2.10 says this, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. If you read that, if you read that again, everything we've been talking about is kind of in that, right? For example, who, who's doing the testing? Up here, it's just a person at a door. You ain't got to worry about it. Who's doing the testing here? Anybody? What does the scripture say? Who's doing the testing? The devil will put some of you in prison to test you. But yet, here's God telling you it's coming. I'm allowing it, right? I know it's coming. I'm going to allow it. I'm letting the devil do this. By the way, they're going to suffer for how long? What does it say? 10 days. You've got to go through it. I'm not going to get you out on day one. I'm not going to get you out on day three. You've got ten days of, of suffering coming. It's a defined time. You have to go through it. But come out the other side, and I'll give you the crown of life. I mean, that's, they're, they're, everything we've talked about is right in that verse right there. See, God doesn't save us so we don't have to suffer. He doesn't save us so we don't have to go through things. That's not the point of it at all. He allows us to go through things, even letting the devil control circumstances in our lives sometimes. But the point is that God has a plan, even in that. Come out the other side, and something good is going to happen. At the end of the day, I was thinking this week, you know, we're all going to die. I, I, I was uh, talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about how death is that—it's the final test, is it not? That's the final test. You, everybody takes that test. Everybody goes through it. That's the final test. And that's, man, what a test that is. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to put your faith in me? Are you going to rely on what you've relied on your whole life on this final test? Do it. Stay strong. And on the other side, you'll get the crown of life. See, we're all going to go through tests in this life, whether we want to or whether we don't. But always keep in mind, God is in control. And I love that verse right there. Because it just tells us, man, not only is he in control, not only is he allowing it, but he's going to bring something good out of it. Even even from the world's point of view, it looks terrible. They're going to die, folks. He's not pulling them out of it. They're going to die. But the fact is, on the other side, they'll receive the crown of life. You see, God knows what you and I are able to endure. He knows, and he will sustain us. It doesn't matter how severe the trial. It doesn't matter how long it lasts. It doesn't matter how powerless or weak we feel. The one who has appointed the trial, is always abundantly able to uphold us so that we will make it through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...